Good afternoon and welcome to Midday Magazine for Tuesday, October 25th. I'm Julie Hersey. October is National Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and here in Petersburg, a local organization working against violence for everyone, or WAVE, asked people in town to wear purple on October 20th. As Rachel Cassandra reports, the visibility event highlighted the resources available for survivors of domestic abuse. I found three people from Waves speed walking around on the streets of downtown Petersburg. There was a cheerful, frenetic energy to their purple group as they tried to take photos of as many people as possible waving purple flags. That's Sarah Hofstetter. She's on the board of Wave. Hofstetter told me they'd already visited seven businesses and received many donations. It's like a mad rush from store to store. We make sure we take the picture, and if they give us some money, that's a positive, too. <laughs> and our, our goal today is $2,022. We feel close already. They walked out to the Harbor Bar. First, you'll hear the voice of Alina Nelson. She's a prevention advocate for WAVE. I don't know if they're open yet. The door's open. They're taking photos of Jessica Josie, the bartender. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks, Jess. The photos are part of Wave for Wave, which is an annual event. It's a day they hope highlights domestic violence awareness. And it's a way to open the door to people reaching out when they do need help. I sat down with Ajana Ware the next day to talk about WAVE's work. Uh, my name is Ajana Ware. I am the prevention coordinator at WAVE. Ware works a lot with youth on prevention. She visits schools throughout the year for education about relationships. It's primarily about, you know, consent and what consent is and, you know, what a healthy and unhealthy relationship might look like and things that, you know, can kind of be grazed over, especially emotional abuse, which a lot of people don't really recognize, um, and financial abuse, which a lot of people don't really recognize, um, and then communication and effective forms of communication if you do feel like your boundaries are being crossed. Recently, some kids told Ware that they were seen bullying in schools. There was a student that came up to me, and they were just talking to me about how in the middle school there's there's a lot of instances of bullying, especially for, you know, queer kids and kids of color. And um, there's just not an appreciation for kids who are not, who don't fit a certain look or personality type or uh, aren't involved in sports or anything like that. So where started Unity, which is a youth-led club teaching kids about diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's meant to be a safe space for all kids, whatever their identity It's anti-bullying, and kids can share their experiences. There were way more students that showed up than what I was expecting, you know. But it was really, it's it's been, it's been awesome. It's been really awesome. Ware talked with me about some of WAVE's other new programs. WAVE wants to be more than just a resource for those with an active crisis. We're trying to foster just a sense of community for people who need a sense of community, whether they are you know, survivors or victims or not, whether they're in a safe home or not, it doesn't matter. They've been offering free mindful movement classes and a stitch and bitch for crafters. 
As of Friday, WAVE was still counting their donations for the WAVE for WAVE event. Reporting in Petersburg, I'm Rachel Cassandra. For questions about any of WAVE's programming, check out their Facebook page. It's linked with this story at kfsk.org. The head of the U.S. Census Bureau, Robert Santos, visited Sitka on October 17th on his way to the Alaska Federation of Natives Convention in Anchorage. He met with officials from the Sitka Tribe of Alaska to hear concerns about how systemic undercounting has impacted federal funding formulas for the tribe. Catherine Rose has this report. Uh, Let me start by saying something that I hope will not shock the public because it's always been true. And that is that no census, no decennial census has ever been perfect. They're designed to be as accurate as they possibly can be. U.S. Census Director Robert Santos was appointed by President Joe Biden just after the COVID-19 pandemic added unprecedented challenges to the country's biggest effort to collect population data. We use the best technology, the best methodology. Uh, We have uh, a fair amount of funding to, to get that done. Every 10 years, the Census Bureau does the best that it possibly can. The U.S. Census Bureau's work goes far beyond the decennial census. In addition to annual surveys, it studies its own data to figure out each census's shortcomings. We're now in the process of doing our assessments to see where could we improve for 2030. And more importantly, we're reaching out to communities like Sitka to say, What can we do differently? Through that work, they estimate that in the 2020 census, Alaska Natives and American Indians were undercounted by over 5%. Undercounting is a longstanding problem that can have major implications for tribes. Sitka Tribe of Alaska's Transportation Director, Jerry Hope, says the tribe has seen firsthand how data collection can inform federal funding formulas. About five years ago, one of the attorneys that we work with Matt Jaffe from Sanofsky Chambers brought up one of the funding formula elements for the tribal transportation program's funding, which had to do with the population count. The problem Jaffe caught was the result of the way the Census Bureau's annual American Community Survey calculates the total Alaska Native population when respondents list themselves as Alaska Native or Alaska Native and another race. The survey collects detailed information on everything from race and ethnicity to sex and household composition, even whether a respondent has access to high-speed Internet. And the data collected from those surveys are used by federal agencies to determine funding for certain tribal programs. In Sitka, funding for two programs depend on these counts to be accurate. The Baranoff Island Housing Authority, which oversees tribally designated housing, and STA's Transportation Department. Hope says the tribe has long struggled to get federal authorities to address the problem. It was like treading water. Finally, earlier this year, there was an opportunity to meet with a tribal specialist in the Census Bureau. And so we were able to start getting traction on our concerns. Santos says the issue came up when their data was used by the Bureau of Housing and Urban Development to implement policy. But the way HUD was using the data led to an additional undercount of Alaska Natives. Santos says it was a big, big issue that the Census Bureau will be looking into. 
And so we need to go and look back at that and see what we can do, number one, to help uh, the, the department that's implementing policy understand the magnitude of the change that occurred by their decision. But secondly, and more importantly, what do we need to do in order to explore ways to, to help lessen the undercount? Hope says the Sitka tribe and the Census Bureau have committed to meeting regularly in the coming months to figure out next steps to tackling the undercount. The fix could be administrative within the Census Bureau itself or through congressional action. There's no timeline for how long it could take, but Hope is optimistic. We're just really happy that we have their ear. We have an opportunity to work on this, and they're very open to it, so that's really a big achievement. After Director Santos' visit to Sitka concluded, he and his team made their way to the Alaska Federation of Natives Conference in Anchorage, where he'll meet with tribes and give a presentation on the census. It reflects our recognition that we should go beyond staying in our headquarters and doing the best analyses we can with the top-notch statisticians and economists and scientists that we have to come up with the best methods. We also need to get out into the community. A public comment period on the 2030 census is open through mid-November, and Santos hopes Americans will share their ideas for how the Bureau can improve the next census. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose. Voting for this year's midterm elections started Monday at city halls, community centers, churches, and election offices all over Alaska. Voters will rank their favorite candidates for governor, U.S. House and Senate, and state house and Senate, and they'll also vote on a once-a-decade question about whether to hold a constitutional convention, plus whether judges on state courts should continue to hold their jobs. Registered voters must bring some form of ID to the polls. That can be a driver's license, state ID card, passport, birth certificate, military ID, or a hunting or fishing license. Alternatively, voters can provide a utility bill, bank statement, paycheck, or a government document with their name and current address. In most communities, early voting is known as absentee in-person voting. And here in Petersburg, early voting is happening at the community center Monday through Friday from 11 in the morning till 3 in the afternoon through November 7th. Any Alaskan can vote by mail, and voters can apply for a mail-in ballot at absenteeballotapplication.alaska.gov through, through Saturday, the 29th of October. Absentee ballots must be postmarked by November 8th. The last day to vote is Election Day, November 8th. Polls all over the state will be open from 7 in the morning until 8 at night, and employers are required by law to give employees time off to vote. Early voting locations are listed online at elections.alaska.gov. And there's a link with this story at kfsk.org. And while you're there, you can also check out a tool to compare the candidates created by KTOO, Alaska Public Media, Anchorage Daily News, and the Alaska Beacon. And there's also a link to the state's official election pamphlet with information about the candidates and instructions on how to vote. It is available in English, Tagalog, Gwich'in, Yupik, and Chupik. A former Kenai Peninsula borough employee says she faced constant sexual harassment from former borough mayor and current gubernatorial candidate Charlie Pierce while she was his assistant. 
She's now suing Pierce and the borough, and her 20-page lawsuit details an alleged pattern of harassment by Pierce that she says the borough did nothing to stop. In a lawsuit filed on Friday in State Superior Court, Kenai resident Pamela Wastel said that she endured hostile work environment and constant sexual harassment for the year and a half she was Pierce's executive assistant at the Kenai Peninsula Borough. Wastel started working at the borough in 2013. Pierce, a Republican, was elected as borough mayor in 2017 and resigned in August, saying he needed to focus on his campaign for governor. The lawsuit, first reported by the Anchorage Daily News, says Pierce would touch and kiss Wastel against her will, and he made sexual remarks using his authority to intimidate her behind closed doors in his Soldatna office. The lawsuit also alleges the borough failed to protect Wastel and several other employees from Pierce's harassment. Caitlin Shortel is Wastel's Anchorage-based attorney, and she said her client was afraid to report the behavior to the borough before this summer for fear of retaliation. Quote, knowing that while she remained in the workplace, there was no safe, impartial place or person, and there were no procedures in place, unquote. Wastel first reported Pierce's inappropriate behavior to the borough's legal department in July, according to the lawsuit, and in the days following, she was placed on paid administrative leave. The borough hired an outside firm to conduct an independent investigation into the allegations, which it later concluded were, quote, credible. Pierce resigned in late August and left the borough at the end of September, and the lawsuit claims Wastel was not the only victim of Pierce's harassment. The suit points to a handful of other alleged instances of sexual harassment and discrimination by Pierce, including two settlements paid by the borough, totaling nearly $270,000 from two former human resources directors in 2019 and 2020. The acting human resources director at the time of Wastel's complaint was Pierce's chief of staff, Aaron Rhodes, who left the borough at the end of September following Pierce's resignation. Meanwhile, Pierce continues his run to be Alaska's governor. He received 6.7% of the vote in the August primary election, making the cut as the fourth candidate in the four-candidate November 8th-ranked-choice general election. Current Governor Mike Dunleavy has encouraged his supporters to rank Pierce second on their ballots, and in an emailed response late on Monday to questions about whether he still supported ranking Pierce second, a spokesperson for Governor Dunleavy said the allegations are serious and that, quote, without any way to independently verify these claims at this late date, it would be unfair to make any snap judgments or draw any conclusions from a complaint filed just days ago, end quote. And that wraps up Midday Magazine for this Tuesday. And coming up next, we'll have a look at the weather.